0: It's the amazing Rico Bronya podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. All right, everybody, the season's over. Let's just pack it up. Let's retire Rico Bronya. Let's all go home. Let's never talk about the New York Mets ever again because 2023 is in the books. We suck, ladies and gentlemen. All right, now that we got that out of our system, because I think we all had that watching this brutal sweep at the hands of the Detroit Tigers, We could all take a deep breath and kind of analyze what the hell happened and what may happen moving forward. But there's no denying that these three games against Detroit were painful. They were painful on a lot of levels. I guess if there's one positive to the three-game sweep at the hands of the Tigers is that most people work during the day. And so you didn't see game one of the doubleheader, which featured Adam Adovino giving up the game-winning hit to Honus, Eric Haas, Wagner. Yeah. He's basically freaking uh, Rod Carew, this Eric Haas. You probably saw the game where Max Scherzer got his ass kicked, but then you probably didn't see the finale of this series where the Met bats were limp, and Brandon Nemo had, had his head up his rear end, and Justin Verlander gave up back-to-back home runs in the first inning. So the good news to this sweep is because two of the three games were during the day, maybe you missed it. But the reality is, this was a horrible three games against the Tigers. And I feel bad for something Pete and I talked about a few days ago. And, I, and as I brought it up, I regretted it. I even said it at the time. We shouldn't do this. And that was looking at the schedule and looking at the bad teams the Mets are about to face, saying, hey, what are they going to do in these 13 games? 10-3? and 9-4? and four? What do you think, fellas? And then what do they do? They begin the three games against Detroit. And they get swept. So this was obviously an awful few days. We'll go through the games. We'll panic if you want to panic. Try to calm each other down. Let me just start off by saying this. My biggest concern leaving this three-game series and moving ahead, my biggest concern is Max Scherzer in the state of the rotation. That's my biggest concern. Now, that's not to deny that the finale of this series was limp bats and the fact they were only able to put together, what was it, three hits and getting shut out by Eduardo Rodriguez, and then eventually an inning out of the Tiger bullpen. And I can't deny that they also got pretty much shut down in game two of the doubleheader when they managed only one run, and they didn't do anything in the last four innings of game one of the doubleheader. So yeah, in the last 22 innings, the Mets have scored one run. I can't deny that. And I can't deny the fact that they lost the finale of this series because they couldn't score runs. But I look at this Met lineup, and I see hope. I actually do. And we'll go through it as this pod goes on. I'll give you my reasons for it. I look at the rotation and I'm afraid. And it starts with Max Scherzer. Because, yeah, let's start with the second game of this series. Let's start with that game. Max Scherzer is back from his suspension. The Mets had just lost a brutal game one, which we'll get to later. And here's Max Scherzer for the first time in 10 days. And I don't know if it's he not using enough sweat and rosin I don't know if it's, hey, he hasn't pitched in 11 days, which Max talked about and Buck talked about. I don't know if it's the fact he's 39 years old. And quite frankly, it doesn't even matter. All I know is that was really, really bad. And you could tell early on in this game, it was really, really bad. He walks the leadoff hitter Zach McKinstry, so his command is way off. He gave up like an infield hit to Riley Green. That didn't cause me to panic. But I'll tell you this, third batter of the game. Let me take you back to this. And this is when I knew, holy crap, this is not Max Scherzer. There's first and second and nobody out. And he gets ahead of Javier Baez 0-2. He throws an 0-2 fastball right down the middle to the biggest free-swinging hitter in all of baseball, Javier Baez. We know it full well. And Baez just missed it. Hit it to right field. It was a sacrifice fly. It moved McKinstry to third base. It wasn't the sacrifice fly. It was the fact that his command was so off that here he is on an 0-2 pitch, probably trying to throw a fastball in his eyes, which I would understand. It's Javi Baez. He may swing at it. He may not. If he doesn't, no big deal. The count's one and two. And it was right down the middle. And Baez just missed it. And then obviously gives up the sack fly. The double to Spencer Torkelson was also a pain in the rear end because Spencer Torkelson's one of the biggest busts in all of baseball. And now he's roping, you know, RBI doubles up the alley. And after that second inning, the hope is well, maybe Max will settle down. And he gives up a home run to Eric Haas. Because what Eric Haas did in the first game of the doubleheader was not enough. And it just never got better. He pitches a one, two, three third, gets a bunch of swing and misses gets a couple of strikeouts, and then what happens in the fourth inning? Base hit, home run. And so I heard Max after the game talk about the layoff. I heard Buck talk about the layoff. I heard Mike Puma, rightfully so, bring up the spin rate, saying, hey, Max, your spin rate was way down. Is that because you didn't bathe in rosin? I don't know, and I'm not going to pretend on this podcast to know what's wrong with Max Scherzer. We could all speculate. And age is probably like the safest thing to go to because he is an older guy and mother nature. No, no, not mother nature. Father time. Is it mother time or father time?
1: It's father time. Father time. I got that right. Yeah. Yeah. Father time catches up. Father
0: time is undefeated. Pete father time never loses. So if you want to tell me Max Scherzer's just washed up and that's what's happened. Okay. You want to tell me he can't bathe in rosin. Okay. My answer is I really don't care. Yeah, I don't care why Max is struggling. I want him to fix it. And maybe it's not fair to go back to the game against the Braves last year and the wild card game against the Padres. But here are the numbers that I crunched. In his last seven starts as a New York Met, Max Scherzer's thrown 33 innings. He's given up 12 home runs, and he has a 5.72 ERA. Those are just the facts. Again, I'm going back to last year, which may not be fair. But this is now our memory of Max Scherzer. Those are the seven starts we're talking about. The game against the Braves in Atlanta, five and two-thirds, four runs, two home runs. The wild card game and series against the Padres, four and two-thirds, seven runs, four home runs. Opening day against the Marlins, actually doesn't look all that bad in retrospect. Six innings, three runs, but he blew the lead, giving up a home run. The game against the Brewers, five and a third innings, five runs, three home runs. The five scoreless against San Diego, which he battled through, but hey, five scoreless, you'll take it. The three scoreless against the Dodgers before he got ejected for, again, making love to um, Rosin and Sweat. And then obviously what he did in game two of this series, three and a third innings, six runs, two home runs. He's been bad. And what's so weird about it, because I do want to try to be fair about this, is in the starts before that game against Atlanta. So I just gave you that sample size of seven starts, and there's no denying the numbers. In the previous 22 starts, his first 22 as a Met, he pitched to a 2.13 ERA. That's amazing. He gave up 11 home runs in 139 innings. I just told you he's given up 12 home runs in 33 innings. Before that, 11 home runs, one fewer, and 139 innings, so it's it's tough to explain what the hell has happened. But that is, in my opinion, Pete. You tell me if I'm missing it here. That's my biggest concern. Like, what is Max Scherzer? Uh,
1: I think you're nailing it right now. And my, my I, I hate to say it, but I think he's, I think he's done. I think Father Time has caught up. I think his. He he said at the other day he said that he you know the suspension the injury you know I was happy I got through it and now I want to get back into a rhythm. He hasn't been in a rhythm since sometime last year. There's been no rhythm to 2023. It's been all downhill. It gets worse and worse. So I don't know what type of rhythm he's talking about.
0: Well, it, it it's tough because last year Last year, Max Scherzer, when he pitched, and I know he had the respite on the injured list, which you, you can admit, we can all admit, really didn't impact the Mets in a negative way. So him missing a lot of time last year really didn't make any kind of impact because they won 101 games. And so you look back at that missed time and say, okay, no big deal. But in the 22 starts he made, he was utterly brilliant. He comes back, is still good, because remember, he pitched that you know six perfect innings in Milwaukee. And got, gets pulled out of it. And then, and let's not forget this, the last great start Max made was cleaning up the Grom's mess in Oakland. Like, we were all, even I was alarmed by how bad Jake was in that start against the A's in September. And Scherzer pitches the Sunday game and throws a great game. And so it's like, okay, Max is healthy, everything's great. He then has those two terrible starts, the game against Atlanta, the game against San Diego. And the excuse we heard coming out of it was, he's not healthy. Okay. I mean, I don't think any of us wanted to hear it at the time, and we didn't. And I think we said that on the Rico. We don't want to hear how hurt he is, but now it's a fresh start. And this season has been very, very uneven. Like, even in the game in which he pitched his best game, the five scoreless against San Diego, it was a laborious effort. It was not him, you know, cruising through. So it's not a huge sample size. I admit that, but it's concerning. And is he done? Is it just simply father? Pete, here's the thing, man. I don't know. And And I don't want to be afraid to admit that. I don't know what it is, but here's what I do know. When you look at the way this roster is built and the way this team is built, it is similar to a year ago where it's built behind two top starters. Last year was Max and DeGrom. This year, it's Max and Verlander. The rest of the rotation is not very good and features questions. I think the offense is good. And like I said earlier, and I'll explain it more, it's not my biggest concern, but it's also not their strength. Their strength needed to be two aces at the top of the rotation. And right now, and we'll get to Verlander in a bit, Max Scherzer has given us enough of a sample size to say, I don't know what the hell is going on. So I hope you're wrong that he isn't done, but the red flags are up
1: because now we've got a sample size of a lot of bad from this guy. Well, and here's the other thing too, right? So if, if he is quote unquote done, what is the solution for this year? Where, how, how do we use Max Scherzer? I mean, throwing him out there as an ace every fifth day or sixth day or whatever it is, it's, it's not working. Is there a solution to, no, to no, getting no. him? No, is he, it, pitches. He, oh wait, he pitches. he no. pitches. The, I'm going to say something that's going to be out there. What, you're
0: moving to the bullpen? Yes. No.
1: No. If, no. if John Smoltz did it, Dennis Eckersley's done it, Well, I'm I, sorry. I, if you have somebody who – because right now he has some proof in that he can give me anything an worth of anything.
0: As much as we're killing him, it's seven starts. You know what I mean? And it's really five starts if you want to take out the two from last year. And with a guy with a resume like that, you're not doing it. I mean, it's is not happening. And nor would nor I want to at this point. I think the answer is he starts every five days. Because here's the news flash for you, Pete. It's not like they've got a better option waiting. I mean, the Mets have used almost every part of their starting pitching depth over the first month of the season. All right? Tyler McGill was not supposed to be in the rotation. David Peterson, not supposed to be in the rotation. Joey Lucchese, not supposed to be in the rotation. And they've all had to enter it. Jose Buto had to enter the rotation. And the truth is not to not to kill McGill, who I think has been fine as a back of the rotation arm, or kill Casey, who we don't have enough of a, of a sample size with. His last start wasn't good. He did give the Mets their best start of the year, the seven scoreless innings in his first start. It's not like they've got better options banging down the door. So, when I complain about Max's struggles and question what he is at this point, which I think is fair based on the way he's pitched. I'm not saying it in terms of, and now you got to do something about it. There's nothing you could do about it. Not this season. He's in the freaking rotation. And he what? says he's got to find a rhythm. He better find
1: a rhythm. <laughs> they don't have any other options. Yeah. And and now we might have, we might be stuck with a 30, soon to be 39 year old who may have his worst season of all time. Yeah. And guess what? When that happens, guess what he's doing He's opting in to next year. Yeah, I can't. That you're right. Me, come on. You're right. I can't worry about that. That's next year. I mean, yeah,
0: listen, that's <laughs> you know, that's an issue for next season, <laughs> but that's next season. And, and the, the other thing about that game, that middle game of this series, and look, it's all on Max because Max got bombed. I mean, you go out, you pitch three and a third innings, you allow six runs, you got bombed. There's nothing much you could do. The Met bullpen actually did a fairly good job keeping it close. There's Zach Mockenhern actually looked pretty good, and his reward was being sent down to the minor leagues. Jose Budo coming out of the bullpen as the 27th man was actually pretty good. The guy who stunk was John Curtis, who eventually got re-sent down to Triple A. But we started to get a glimpse of the struggling offense because this offense has been very, very weird over this stretch of games, this stretch of games where the Mets have lost nine out of 11, I think it's at. They will have games in which they score seven runs. But they've also had, over the last nine games, five of the nine, they've scored one run or zero runs. So it has really been an all-or-nothing offense. Now, not that five runs in the opener is something to write home about, but they did score nine runs against the Nationals. They needed every one of them when they won the finale of that three-game series. They did come back in the first game of the doubleheader against the Braves, end up scoring seven, uh, eight runs. They lost 9-8. So, They've scored runs, but then we see them completely disappear like they did in game two and game three of this series. And they had opportunities in this game. Not that I ever thought they were going to come back, but they had two on, two out second inning with Beatty and Gourmet coming up. They do nothing. After Vogel back ripped that RBI double, which got him on the board in the fourth inning, made it a three to one game. Here we go. They got a runner on second, nobody out with Canna and Yorme coming up, similar names, they did nothing. And then after that, it was like over. And to have that happen against Michael Lorenzen, who for whatever reason has pitched well against the Mets. When I think of Michael Lorenzen, I think of a two-way player, even though they don't treat him that way anymore. I think of his guns that he used to like show off. He has like big muscles. And I think of a crappy player that dominates the Mets. And there's way too many of those guys. So they lost game two because of Max, clearly. You know, your starting pitcher gives up six runs in three and a third innings. You're likely going to lose. But the offense did very, very little. And that's on the heels of the opener of this series against Detroit, the opener of the doubleheader in which right out the gate, who knew this would be a sign of things to come, the Tigers are jumping on Joey Lucchese. And it was not a great performance by Lucchese. Now, what's funny is Buck takes him out relatively early from a pitch count perspective and buck even mentions after the game hey you know we're thinking about using him on sunday so he only threw 46 pitches and they took him out well they also could have taken him out because he gave up four runs in four innings <laughs> that could be the other reason like joey lucas has giving up a three-run home run to eric haas right out the gate he's given up a home run to javier baez who had not hit any home runs until this series started so, yeah, they took him out after throwing only 48 pitches. He wasn't any good. He, he didn't pitch well. What was really frustrating about the first game of this series, it's not even Luke Casey Because, look, Joey Casey is a depth guy. Unfortunately, the Mets have a lot of depth guys in their rotation. I'm not expecting seven scoreless innings out of him. The Mets came back, like, immediately after they took that 3-0 lead in the top of the second inning. Tommy Pham and Mark Katna hit home runs. Which was, which was stunning. And, and let me own my L, because I did tweet before the game, hey, why the hell's Tommy FAM in the lineup? It should be Eduardo Escobar. Something I said on the Rico, too. I said that ahead of time. Hey, when there's a lefty on the mound, why don't you DH Escobar instead of Tommy FAM? He's in an O for 16. Hey, I own it. Tommy FAM had a home run. He had a bunch of hits. Great. I'm glad to be wrong. But understand where I was coming from with it. I think it made perfect sense. You know, especially because later in the week, I got to hear Buck say, I got to get Escobar in the lineup. You want to get Escobar in the lineup? Fine, DH him. But they instantly fight back and they make it a three to two game. And Lucasie gives up the home run to Baez and it's four to two. And then offensively in the fifth, they do it again. Francisco Lindor. Actually, I got before I get to Lindor, Tomas Nito. Tomas Nito drove it run. Oh my God, I'm, I'm falling out of my seat watching this game while Craig and I are doing the show. Tomas Nito has an RBI single, and then he advanced the second on the error by Ibanez, and Lindor hits the home run. And the Mets go up five to four, and I'm telling you right now, I felt like last year. Like, wow, okay, this is going to be this is gonna be a hell of a win. Luke Casey gives up the three runs early. The Mets fight back immediately. They take the lead, and they got their bullpen really doing a good job because Jimmy Acabonis, who for the most part has done a really good job, He's firing off scoreless innings. He's, he's pitching great. And they are six outs away from taking game one, and we're all feeling good. We are all feeling good. And Adam Adovino comes into the game, and I look, Adam Adovino, up until this point, had not had, in my opinion, a bad season by any stretch. But Adam Adovino gives up the killing two-out hit, to Eric Haas and what made me feel really sick is Detroit at first and second and one out. He got Riley green to ground out and it was great because he got the second out, but both guys advanced. And as I'm doing the show with Craig and I'm watching the game and I, you know how much I hate this, but I got to do it. What am I going to do it or on the air? I can't sit there scoring at watching every single Met game as much as I want to. I see the second and third and the whole series is like flashing before my eyes. Because there are certain games that just feel more important. And it's the opener, it's a doubleheader. Who knows what to expect from Max and Justin Verlander? And Adam Adevino is an at bat away from either getting through a delicate eighth inning, hand the ball to David Robertson, we're good to go, or he's going to give up a base hit that's going to allow not only the tying run to score, but the winning run to score. And I think it was the first pitch. Was it not the first freaking pitch to Eric Hossie? It's the line drive to right center field. Oh, my stomach dropped. Because it wasn't just the lead. You kind of knew the game was over. And I had this sick feeling it was going to lead to worse things. Like It was it was not only going to be a loss. It was going to be a, just a, a, a treacherous loss. Which, by the way, it turned out to be. But you just felt it at the time. As far as Buck's decision to go to Adovino. So here's my question. I am not killing necessarily Buck Showalter for making the decision to go to Adam Adovino in the eighth inning against those hitters in the order, Veerling and Baez and Green and Haas. They're a very right-handed order, Detroit, very right-handed. And Adam Adovino's lane, even though the numbers haven't really backed it up this year, he's had weird reverse splits. But in general, you want Adovino facing righties. So I get why Buck went to him. Plus, I guess the other side of this is he's used Robertson in the eighth inning routinely when it's their better hitters. This is the top of the order. These are the Tigers best hitters as much as Matt Vierling and Javier Baez and Riley Green and Eric Haas. They may not scare you. I mean that those are their best hitters. So I'm not killing him for not going to Robertson in the eighth inning. I guess I'm just thinking out loud about, why in this situation against Detroit's better hitters, because it was 9-1 and 2, so it is their better hitters, do you go to Adovino, who I think we all agree is not their best reliever, David Robertson is, as opposed to what he's been doing a lot this year, which is, hey, I'm going to use my best reliever to go get their better hitters out. And then you run into, do you go to David Robertson with two outs and Eric Koss coming up to the play? Maybe he felt Pete, I like Robertson against lefties. There aren't many lefties in the Tigers' order, and I'll stick with Adovino to get through it. But it was a little, a tiny bit, because the righty aspect I get, but it was a little contradictory to how he's managed the Robertson-Adovino kind of handling throughout this season. little
1: contradictory. And, and wasn't this the first appearance from Adovino since he's been on paternity yeah. leave? So I feel like it was like they wanted to give him work, but maybe this wasn't the right spot. I mean, I don't want to second get Monday morning quarterback, but I feel like his last outing wasn't even all that great either. It just felt like this was not the place to put out of, Eno, especially having time off. Um, But it didn't work. Regardless, it didn't work. And they should have gone to Robertson some way.
0: But you know what's funny? Like, I get your point. If they went to, because you're right, he hadn't pitched since prior to the paternity leave, and his last performance was against Washington. He gave up a run, right? He was shaky. Uh, put a couple of guys on base, gave up a run. But if he goes to Robertson in the eighth and he does the job, you're not going to out in the ninth. Now he's facing different hitters. He's facing, assuming how David's inning goes four, five, six, three, four, five, whatever it turns out to be. So if you want to give him a, a situation, not as difficult as that, well, you're giving him an even tougher one if you're giving him the ninth. So I don't know if there was a great answer on when to use him. If you wanted to give him a soft landing spot. Well, the only thing is, unless you say, I'm just going to give Robertson two innings. Yeah, he did that the other day. I, you can't do that routinely. I mean, I, I think he was clearly going to use Adam Adovino because it was his first performance back. He is one of the guys you trust in the circle of trust, even though he's now giving up runs in three of his last four games if you're keeping track at home. I think you're using him. I think it's just a matter of where you're using him. And from a righty-lefty perspective, I get why I used him in the eighth, but in terms of, hey, I want David Robertson against their best hitters, that's where it wasn't consistent because those were their best hitters. Look, the truth is he failed. Like he, he, right. he failed, and the Met offense did nothing after Lindor hit the home run, and they were unable to rally in the ninth inning. And it just it's one of those losses, and I hate saying it, it doesn't feel like that loss happens a year ago. It feels like things play out differently in 2022 and it turns into a win. And, and I hate saying it, but it's, it's honestly how I felt about it.
1: No, you're right. And it, but partly is too. I think it's got to be, a, I don't want to make it a buck thing right now, putting blame on anybody. They all, they're all to blame right now, at this point in time. But again, if you're looking like you have a double header, we haven't played game. You've, you've had one game since what uh, you had a, a, you had a double header on Monday. You had a day off on Tuesday. Like it's been such a wishy-washy schedule that you should be planning ahead that have three games in two days if i could s- space out some of my my pitchers we'll find another spot for outavino i mean that that's personally but whatever that that's that's yeah that's i ridiculous. mean
0: the the problem is the only guy that he really could have gone to in that spot otherwise would have been drew smith who i think has pitched really well for the most part like i think drew smith after a shaky start has been one of their more reliable relievers um, he pitched against the Braves in one of the doubleheaders. So he had pitched Monday. So now we're talking about Wednesday. So, yeah, it's like a day later. It's not too much. Hey, look, these kinds of arguments right now, they're not even arguments, these kinds of discussions, this is just what happens when you lose close games. You try to overanalyze everything that happened and said, hey, why don't you do this differently? Why don't you do that differently? And the truth is, Adam Adovino is paid to get a big out, and he didn't get it. And it sucked because... It certainly felt at the time, and it worked out that way, that it was one of those losses that was going to spiral into something worse. And it has. Because since that game and since the Francisco Lindor home run that felt so dramatic and felt so important, the Mets went out and got bombed and lost 8-1 to and then proceeded to lose 2 nothing. Now we'll get to that game. Because obviously they play this afternoon game, another afternoon game, which I, God, I freaking hate them. <laughs> Just on a personal level. The Mets have now played, let's see, one, two, three, four of their last five games have been during the day while on the air with Craig. Four to five. five. Like, what freaking planet am I on? I can't score it. I'm distracted. Like, trust me. I know it's a first-world problem. I'm not asking anybody to feel bad for me. <laughs> I'm just venting
1: that I hate it. That's all I'm saying. What's, what's worse, a day game where you're on air – or the west coast trip
0: oh the day game on the air i i at least on the west coast trip i'm, I'm watching the games you know i'm able to score the games relax hear what gary has to say hear what keith <laughs> has to say flip to the radio uh, i think dvr is one of the great inventions it, i've said this before it's it's great that you can live a life you know spend time with your wife spend time with your kids and still watch every met game there's no excuse because you have dvr That doesn't work when you do afternoon radio in New York City because I can't DVR the game that we may end up talking about. (laughs) So you have to watch it. But again, it's a first-world problem. I am not asking anybody to feel bad for me. I'm just bemoaning it. So Justin Verlander makes his debut. I get to watch the first hour in my office. That was fun. And right out the gate, Verlander's giving up bombs. that That was freaking fantastic. Riley Green, see you later. Javier Baez, see you later. Now, let me give Verlander credit, because I'm not overly concerned about him right now. Justin Verlander settled down. He pitched five innings, did not give up another run after those two home runs. There were some hard hit balls against him. Absolutely. No doubt about it. But Verlander's new to us. Like I always say, we are going to judge people by what they do here. This was his first start as a Met. It wasn't bad. It wasn't. I, I, I prefer not to give up two home runs in the first inning. But five innings, two runs, he was not going to be able to pitch more than that because of the pitch count, which I think we all understand. This was not on him. This was on the offense. So if you are looking for some kind of positive coming out of this three-game series, I will give you one, and it's Justin Verlander. I got to hand that to him. The guy went out. He's making his first start of the year. It sucks that he's given up back-to-back home runs. Nobody likes it, but he didn't turn into anything worse. It it wasn't what Max did. He didn't take a bad first inning and make it an awful, awful game. So I'm not drawing any negative conclusions out of Verlander's start. I don't think it would be fair to. I would say he went out. He's healthy. He did not look bad. He kept him in the game. The Met offense did nothing. And I think the biggest issue right out the gate is Buck Showalter not having Brett Beatty in the lineup. There's no excuse for it. So he's asked before the game, how come no Beatty? And just in case you forgot, Brett Beatty's hitting 313 against lefties. He's hitting 308 against righties. He's hit a home run against the lefty. He's hit a home run against the righties. So he has been perfectly fine against left-handed pitching when he has faced them this season. And we've even seen Buck start him now Against lefties, including Max Fried, a week ago. And his excuse, because I thought it was just give me a freaking break, was well, I got to get Escobar in the lineup. I want to make something very clear. I do not have a problem with getting Eduardo Escobar in the lineup. That is not my issue. He's right. You got 26 guys on a roster. You want to make sure guys stay fresh. I'm not bitching about that. What I'm bitching is that it comes at the expense of the young stud who's hitting lefties, righties, and by dexterous, he's hitting everybody. He can't come out of the lineup. Now, my Tommy Pham thing obviously looks stupid. I said Escobar should DH over Pham, but I'm sorry. I'll go back to that. I'd rather see Tommy Pham sit than Eduardo Prep es- uh, Beatty. I'll give you another one. I'd rather see Mark Kenneth sit than Brett Beatty. I'll I, I give you another one. I'd rather see Starling Marte, who has looked lost for a month, sit than Brett Beatty. So if Bucks excuses, I want to get Escobar's bat in the lineup, he's starting to show a little bit of a pulse. I don't want him to get cold not playing. I'm with you, bro. Like I'm not disagreeing with getting Eduardo Escobar's bat in the lineup. I agree with that. I said it on the Rico. Get his bat in the lineup. We are now past the point where you're doing it at the expense of Brett Beatty. Brett Beatty's got to play. And he has. It's only one game. He should have been out there. That, that annoyed me right out, right out the start. He's got to play every day. You want to give other guys an off day? Give him an off day. You can't sit this kid. He has done everything you've asked. And by the way, and I don't know if this makes the Mets look stupid or brilliant. Like You guys can decide at home. All we heard about was Beatty's defense and Alvarez's defense. That's why they're in the minors, right, Pete? They're defense. They're defense. they defense. they defense. Listen, we're just regular guys watching every single freaking Mets game. Okay, we're not watching AAA, or at least maybe most of us aren't. I don't have the time to. I apologize. Boy, these guys look freaking good defensively. So either you're geniuses, you're just freaking brilliant that you kept these guys down long enough so that they would look this good defensively, or you're a bunch of liars. I'm not sure which one. Because Francisco Alvarez's pitch framing rankings, as you brought up last time, Pete, are through the roof. He's like the greatest pitch framer this side of Yadier Molina, who's retired, and since he's retired, the Cardinals can't pitch. I don't know if anybody's noticed that, by the way. <laughs> Too bad. And Beatty, yeah, I think I'm watching Brooks Robinson sometimes over at third base. That's a little bit too much. But the point is both guys have looked great defensively. I don't see any concerns. Beatty has to be in the lineup. The other thing, I'm very mixed about this, so I'm not going to offer an opinion. I'm going to say what happened and let Pete decide. And then based on what Pete says, I'll form an opinion because I was very mixed about this. Because I don't know if I told you this. I'm on the air while these games are going on, so sometimes it's tough to register. So the Mets are losing in the ninth inning, and they decide to pinch hit Francisco Alvarez with Daniel Vogelback. Alvarez is showing more of a pulse. Alvarez has obviously been hitting a little bit more. He was 0-2 for at
1: this point. Vogelback comes up as a pinch hitter. Pete, your thoughts? Stop with this nonsense. Francisco Alvarez needs every at-bat – possible that's your guy I'm done with it would you pinch hit for Brett Beatty in that spot would you be pinch hitting any younger kid I don't care they need to have this these experiences and Daniel back at best is gonna walk
0: but that's what okay so but you just made my point for me you 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 walked right into it they're down <laughs> to nothing Okay, just let me walk and talk everybody through the situation. They're down 2-0 to start the ninth inning. Daniel Vogelback gets on base at a very, very high clip. That's probably his strength. It's certainly not hitting home runs. He's only hit one this season. It's getting on base. I'm down 2 nothing. It's the ninth inning. Daniel Vogelback offers you a much better chance to get on base than Francisco Alvarez. If you're looking at this baseball game, it is clear to send Vogelback up. I don't think there's a debate who has a better chance to get on base. It's clearly Daniel Vogel If you are playing this long game of, and by the way, it's a fair point to bring it up. You did. So I'm not saying you're an idiot. I'm saying that if you are looking at the game itself, Vogelback is clearly the best option because you're trying to get on base. If you're playing this game of a, hey, he's young. I want him to learn. I want him to get up there. Let him face Alex Lang. Who's been great this year. Let's just see what happens. Then yeah, okay. But if you are looking at the baseball game, Vogelback gives you a better chance to get on base. It's not it's not particularly close.
1: No, I, I I understand that. And that's that's fine, but I'm done. Like I I took this as a loss today. So I need out. it's more important to me to get Alvarez at bats.
0: All right. All right, I'm mixed about it. I probably lean towards sending Vogel back up there only because I'm trying to win the game. I'm trying to win the baseball game. And then we get to, I know the thing everybody wants to talk about. I certainly had a tirade about it on the air uh, with Craig. Brandon Nimmo gets a one-out single. The Mets now have the tying run at the plate with Marte and then Lindor coming up. And Brandon Nimmo tries to steal second base. And I heard Brandon's defense after the game cited how long it takes for Lang to come home 10 out of 10 times. I'll steal it without a problem. I'm trying to make sure that there's no double play option. Here's the problem. All that is fine. You know, you want to tell me Alex Lang takes a million years to get home. Okay. Uh, The double play thing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Marte's certainly on the table to the ground ball, the shortstop, and there could be a double play. You cannot get thrown out in that spot. It's one of those clichés in baseball where you want to run, you better be safe. And to say I'd be safe 10 out of 10 times, well that's not true. You got thrown out. So it's not 10 out of 10 times. You want to say it's 9 out of 10 times? Okay, but it's not 10 out of 10 times. And then I I don't know how much attention you're paying to the NBA. Pete, are you watching the NBA playoffs? Well, the Knicks,
1: clearly. So some of it, some of the games, yeah, but mostly the Knicks.
0: How about Buck Showalter taking a shot at Jordan Poole?
1: <laughs> I'm just kidding.
0: So when he's asked about it, he's like, well, it's like taking a 25-foot jump shot. Yeah, you take what you're given." I was like, what? Are you rocking Jordan Poole trying to take that dumb three at the end of the Warrior laker game? Nah, it, Buck, I, I don't know what Buck's doing here. I guess he's trying to defend this guy, but yeah, the Mets aren't doing much offensively. But in the ninth inning, you're not you shouldn't be forcing your way to score a run. you got to score two runs. If you don't score two runs, the game is over. Nimmo stealing second base, if this is the third inning or the fourth inning or the fifth inning, I get it, you're desperate. you're pushing yourself to score an extra to score a run. And I think sometimes guys will do that. teams will do that. But when you're in the ninth inning, it's all about scoring two runs. One is useless. It's a useless run. So I really didn't like the analogy of, well, you know, we're pressing, we're trying so hard, we're just trying to create something. No, there's nothing to create here. Him getting in a scoring position doesn't create anything. The only thing, and Nimmo said it was, I'm trying to allow Lindor to get up and take the double play away if Marte grounds out. That's great. But you getting thrown out eliminates Lindor from coming up. I thought that play, I can't predict to you that Lindor would have hit a game-tying home run, even though he did hit the game-leading home run in the first game of the doubleheader. But what you did is you eliminated any possibility of it. It was a bad baseball play. Everybody's going to say the same thing, so I don't want to waste too much time on it. It's obvious it was a bad baseball play. I respect Nimmo trying to give a thoughtful answer after it. It ain't worth it. That's the bottom line. You, you, You cannot try to steal second base in that spot. Double play, I want to hear about it. You can't risk being thrown out. And so it was a bad play. And it was really almost an exclamation point on how bad this series was. And just a reminder that everything's going wrong. You can't play stupid baseball when you're not playing good baseball. If you're playing really good baseball, you can make some stupid mistakes and get away with it. But when you're not hitting on any kind of consistent basis and you're starting pitching, can't get through four or five innings, You got to be smart out there more times than ever. And it was just, it was demoralizing. I gotta be honest with you. When I saw Nimmo get thrown out, it was just, it was was like, come on, man. This is really where this week has gone. You're going to get swept by the Detroit Tigers. You're going to score one run in 22 innings. And we're going to watch Brandon Nimmo get thrown out at second base, trying to steal down two runs in the ninth inning. Just everything about it sucked. The only positive, like I said, Pete, is that I thought Verlander was good. And, I think that's a small positive you could take out of this because they need them. <laughs> let's be honest;
1: well, they need positives. But I'm, you know, I've been looking at the big picture about this team right now, and it's really starting to be frustrating because you see how the roster is constructed, you see the strategy that was put together by Billy Epler. And let's be serious here, okay? Let's break down the strategy was bring back all every single offensive piece from last year. Uh, they really didn't want to call up the young guys, but they eventually had to. And it was, let's try to mix and match between, you know, Taiwan Walker and Bassett and DeGrom and turn it into well, to Senga and Verlander and Katana. And let me tell you something. Let's be, let's be serious. Look at the big picture. Taiwan Walker sucked ass. Bassett sucked ass. I mean, most of these pitchers, they were thinking about call, bringing Carlos Rodon. Well done. He hasn't even thrown a pitch yet. So, yeah, I mean, is it really all that bad what the Mets have done? <laughs>
0: No, no, it's it's definitely fair that when we bring up, they should have done this, they should have done that. A lot of those pitching options have not worked so far. We're a month into the season. Uh, our guy, Jacob DeGrom, like he's pitched well when he's pitched. He's had how many early exits from starts, and now he's on the injured list. And you mentioned Radon hasn't pitched yet, and Chris Bassett's been awful. So, yeah, if, if the debate, if we're going to re-debate what they did in the offseason, which I hate to do, but I know it's natural to have happen sometimes, There aren't a lot of better options when it comes to pitching that you could come up with. I agree. Uh, Let me state my case on this offense. While I can't defend what's happened in the last nine games, they've been shut out a bunch of times. They've been shut out a lot this year. They've been shut out six times this year, which is crazy. And five of the last nine games, they've scored either one run or zero runs. I can't defend that. I actually don't feel awful. I don't want to say I feel good. Because I shouldn't say I feel good about anything on this podcast today. I should wait a few days. I don't feel terrible about where this offense is going to go. And I'll tell you my reasons why. Francisco Alvarez is the catcher for the New York Mets. Period. Stop. He is. And that has really started since the beginning of that West Coast trip. And maybe we over exaggerated early on with Alvarez not playing a lot and we were all annoyed by it. Alvarez now plays the bulk of the time, he plays two out of every three games. And I think realistically, that's all you could ask for. Because I think if you look around baseball, catchers are really only going to play that. Some of those guys like JT Riamuto and Tyler Stevenson will also DH. They're not there with Alvarez, but he catches most of the time. His numbers so far overall are not great, but I think we have hope. We have hope that with more time, Alvarez can develop into a productive offensive player and at the worst, at the worst, still be more productive than what they got from catcher a year ago when it was Tomas Nito and James McCann and Patrick Mazzica. So I feel behind the plate. We have finally got what we wanted and Alvarez is going to catch every single day. And I'm optimistic that they are going to get production from catcher. Do you agree with that? By the way, that of what I said about catcher.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. And again, like you, like, and just to reiterate, even with Francisco Alvarez, not really click it just yet, it's still more productive than Tomas Nito.
0: Yeah, and look, Tomas Nito in the 48 at-bats he's had this year has been horrific. I mean, he has one RBI, he has zero extra base hits, he's hitting a buck 25. It's worse than even last year. But I feel good moving forward that Alvarez is the guy. And maybe we get the best case scenario when he's hitting a ton of home runs and he's driving in a lot of runs. But even at the bare minimum, I think the Mets are about to have, with continued playing time, a significant upgrade from what they got out of catcher a year ago. I also feel very good about the fact that Brett Beatty is here. Brett Beatty looks like the real deal. And maybe I can't sit here and project what his numbers are going to be over a full season, but so far so good. He's got a chance to win rookie of the year and be everything we wanted from third base. Okay. So I feel like those are legitimate upgrades that are on this team as compared to last year. When you talk about, and everyone talks about, running it back. This was the point I tried to make in December. I was never able to be proven right until, I guess, right now, because the guys are here, because they weren't going to be here at the beginning of the year. They have upgraded just by having those guys on the major league roster. I would think Alonzo, who's hitting about 250 now, he's got 11 home runs, which is fantastic. Alonzo is pretty much what he was last year. And I think we all feel pretty comfortable that he'll be in that same range home run wise. He's probably ahead of it. Lindor struggling. I'm not going to sit here and defend it. He did hit a big home run that got forgotten about in the first game of the doubleheader. And he does have 24 RBIs, which is good, but his average is way low His on base is way low. He's look, what is Francisco Lindor? I assume his numbers will continue to improve from
1: what we've seen so far. This is exactly what he did last year, by the way. I just want to remind everybody when they said that he was the biggest bust come to New York, and then he turned into a, you know, he wasn't an MVP caliber, but he had, what, how many 100-plus RBIs?
0: So we feel good in general that Lindor will be comparable to what he was last year. No
1: doubt,
0: 100%. Okay. Jeff McNeil, I don't know if he's going to win the batting title. Um, I think Jeff McNeil is going to be fine. Okay, so I I think what I'm trying to explain so far is why I don't feel awful about the offense. Mark Canna uh, is what he is. Brandon Nimmo is fine despite the stolen base threat, uh, stolen base issue. My only real concern, and we'll get to DH, Vogelback is what he is. I think eventually he's going to be replaced. I think that eventually Vientos will come up and be the DH against left-handed pitching, and we'll see if he can make that jump or he's a quadruple-A player. Or Ronnie Mauricio gets that shot. My concern is Starling Marte. That's my concern. The rest of that offense, I think I went through, like, I'm not saying this is going to be murderer's row. I'm not even saying they're the Atlanta Braves. That's not the weakness of this team. That's not the thing that's holding it back. Up until, I think, the uh, doubleheader, I'm sorry, up until the finale of that three-game series on Thursday, they were about four and a half runs a game. Like, I'm not saying that's the most amazing thing in the world. It's not the worst. They've just been shut out way too many times where it seems all or nothing. I think those kinds of things would even out. My concern is Marte for this reason. Is he healthy? Is he healthy? Like, is Starling Marte's bad defense in right field, and it's been bad, his 227 average, his inability to hit curveballs, is that related to not being healthy? I don't know. Now, one option I have, And you want to talk about a win-win? I'm going to give you a win-win right now. I'm going to give everybody a win-win. Who's going to say no to this idea? You tell Starling, look, you're better than this. We think you're hurt. We're going to put you on the I.L. Two weeks, just rest up. Get your body in shape. Job's waiting for you when you get back. We love you. We're going to put you on the I.L. Because you don't look right. You don't look right defensively. You don't look right offensively. You're going on the I.L. And the guy you call up is Ronnie Mauricio to play second base. He's been playing at a triple-A and it's short-term. Like it's a short-term thing. Like you're not up here forever. You're up here to play second base. Jeff McNeil's going to play right field. We want to give Marte a blow and let's see what the kids got. If he tears the cover off the ball, don't worry. We'll find the place for you. Probably DH. And then Starling comes back and hopefully that rest helps him. So it's an option. I Obviously, you got to talk to Marte, and he could swear up and down he's healthy, and maybe you don't do it. But when I look at this lineup right now, and I can't deny they got shut out in the finale of this series. They did nothing in the second game of the doubleheader. They've been shut out six times this year. I get it. I'm just looking at the talent that's there, and that's where my optimism comes from because I see who's in the lineup my negativity to the rotation is for the exact same reason. Cause I see who's there. Cause I see Tyler McGill and Joey Lucchese. And they're afraid to pitch Kodai Senga for some reason. And Scherzer looks cooked. And so I'm seeing the road and Oh, don't worry. Carlos Carrasco's coming back. Great. What the hell is he? Like I look at the rotation and I, I'm fearful. The bullpen has been mostly good. Bullpens are up and down. so. Who the hell knows, right? <laughs> David Robertson is freaking, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the best. Mariano Rivera in his prime. Adam Adovino, his last three games, he sucks. Who knows? The rotation scares me based on who's in it and what I've seen. I don't feel as awful about the lineup as it seems like a majority of Met fans feel. I think this team will score runs. They have, they've just been inconsistent, but I actually think the best is yet to come because of Alvarez and Beatty and Lindor getting hot.
1: I 100% agree with you. I'm actually fine with this offense because I think that you where you just called out that Vientos is eventually going to come up sooner than later, and so is Mauricio. I think by June 1st, they both have to be here. And I got to be honest, the one thing that I'm going to say that's going to piss you off and maybe some other people off too is you have a surplus of guys that are one-dimensional and that's got to change. You have Guillerme, you have Nito, you have Kana, and, and LaCastro's not back yet, but if he does come back and Vogel back, they basically have one ability. And that's not good enough anymore. So you have to, you have to minimize those five guys. You have to cut them in half two or three of those guys have to go. And that's where Mauricio and Vientos are going to get the call and they're going to be able to play the field. Listen, you want to worry, worry, worry about the shortstop position because Guillaume, well, what about Guillaume? He's the, he's the only guy who plays shortstop. Well, you have Mauricio. He could do that.
0: Yeah, no, I and we have talked about that before. I think Mauricio is going to make Luis Guillaume very expendable because he just doesn't give you anything offensively. He's great defensively. I think we all know that. But that, that, that may not be enough. That may not be enough to remain on the roster. The the concern I have on the pitching end of things, and this kind of relates to the bullpen, and hopefully this can kind of start with Verlander now that he'll have a turn underneath his belt, is they got to get innings from these guys. It is so deeply concerning how they don't get innings from their starting pitching. They have played 32 games now this season. They have only had five starts of the 32 in which the starting pitcher has pitched six innings. That, that used to be like the joke about DeGrom, as Craig used to make, called him the six-inning man. And it was derogatory. Now we're looking for six innings, and they've only had five starts this entire season that have gone six innings or more. And by the way, nobody's done it twice. How about that? The five starts are all by different guys. No one's done it multiple times. David Peterson did it once. Joey Lucchese did it once. Kodai Senga did it once. Tyler McGill did it once. And Max Scherzer did it once on opening day. That was the only time he did it. And so it's concerning because you're going to run your bullpen into the ground. Now, they've gone through a lot of different guys in their bullpen. In fact, they just signed Dominic Leone, who's had some pretty good bullpen years in his career, former San Francisco Giant. but. It's not sustainable to get four innings out of your starters on a nightly basis. And and oh, by the way, they haven't been effective. They, They just haven't. I mean, you look at this rotation right now and it is a problem. Lucchese's made three starts. Who knows what to expect? Tyler McGill is the definition of a back of the rotation arm. He is. That's how he's pitched. Low four ERA, five quality innings. That's what he is. Kodai Senga remains a mystery because the Mets are afraid of him. The Mets are afraid to pitch him too frequently. I'd be really curious to see how he pitches Friday night against Colorado, only because he hasn't pitched in a month and a half. I mean, I almost forgot Kodai Senga was on the team. They've been hiding him so much, and then obviously the Aces, who I really think is the key to this whole thing. Last year, when the Mets bowed out to the Padres, and they didn't hand, they did a lot of things wrong. The thing that jumped out at me, and I said it to you, I said it to everybody on the Rico, was what was supposed to make the Mets different was uh, Scherzer and DeGrom. And they did not pitch well enough, specifically Scherzer. What makes the Mets good, unique, special, was having two Hall of Famers at the top of their rotation, one of which is a major concern, as we've talked about, and the other one finally made his debut. And that needs to be a constant. At the beginning of the season, we talked about all the starts they could skip of Max Scherzer and Verlander because they needed to keep them fresh. Well, they've barely pitched. They haven't been effective. Really, Max hasn't been effective. And they got to win games. We can't take making the playoffs for granted. You know, 81 wins doesn't get you into the playoffs. 88 wins? Probably. 87 wins? Probably. We'll see but you got to win games. So they have a series coming up against Colorado. The streak will continue a streak. I've talked about on the pod where they face a lefty in every single series. They've done that all year long. And that will continue on Saturday when they take on Austin. Gomer, the key to the Nolan Arenado trade, boy, that really worked out well for you dummies. But The Mets take on the Rockies and the Rockies are hot. Didn't they just sweep the Milwaukee Brewers, Pete? Like what the hell's going on? The red hot rocks. Uh,
1: yeah. We just talked about that, that. we made Me me and uh, on a side note, me and Evan has been uh, making some offseason, some, some trades during the fantasy baseball season. And I kind of, uh, we've gotten a little bit mixed and match. And I kind of screwed Evan with the, one of those moves with the Brewers. Well, yeah,
0: he traded me a reliever for the Milwaukee Brewers named uh, Peach Frizzlecki, who pitch really well. And I traded for him. didn't give up a lot, no big deal. And his first two bullpen appearances was him literally taking a dump on the field. Like that's, that's how his career on my fantasy team began. And, and we also made a blockbuster, and there's a lot of pieces involved. But he got Nolan Arenado. I got Trey Turner. Both guys have sucked. And the throw-in was Max Scherzer. And so he makes his debut for Team Evan, and he <laughs> took a dump. I mean, it's like all you're doing is trading me lemons, Pete. What's going on?
1: You're, you're welcome. Uh, but I really want to throw something out there, and this is going to be a bold statement, and it's maybe a little too soon here. We have yet to really criticize one man on this uh, podcast. <clears throat> his name is Billy Epler. Okay? And I'm going to throw throw fire at this guy right now. Go ahead. The His two years here, it seems like it's all set up for one move and one move only, which is Shohei Ohtani, which I got to be honest, I'm not – a hundred percent sure that he's going to be here next year. And if that's the case, because with all these one-offs, with the Cantanas, with the Verlanders and the Scherzers, if Billy Epler does not secure Shoei Otani here next year, I think he should be fired. I'm sorry.
0: Well, I I disagree with your premise on one thing. Um, I think that their philosophy of signing veteran pitchers to short-term deals because they don't have pitching. They don't have young pitching that's ready to step in. So it was kind of a necessity. I think was really based on who is available. Like, if you look at the last two years of free agency and obviously DeGrom getting the free agency and what they had on the roster, I think their plan all along has been, let's sign these big arms to short-term deals, only short-term deals. That's what they offered DeGrom. And kind of buy your way until either you develop starting pitchers, none are on the horizon, or buy other starting pitchers. Because there are guys available in the next two, three years, like Max Fried, like Shane Bieber, like Corbin Burns, like Julio Urias, which is actually coming up this year, that are really good. And so I think the plan around the pitching has been more about, yeah, we're buying them for a short period of time. We hope they have something left. But then we're going to buy others in a year or two when these guys come off the books. And I don't think it's like the worst plan in the world because, look, if I could go into a time machine, Pete, I would have re-signed Zach Wheeler. And I think we all would have. Unfortunately, it was different ownership. And then I would have re-signed DeGrom. And my two aces would have been Zach Wheeler and Jacob DeGrom, who I think emotionally we we would have dealt with their struggles better than Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, two guys that have done nothing for us. We can't go into that time machine. Steve Cohen can't go into that time machine. He's not the reason Zach Wheeler isn't here. So I think because of where this rotation was set up, they kind of had to do the short-term big money deals. And luckily, and I'll say it again, there are guys available in the next year and two years and three years that just – replace these guys once they're out the door. So I don't think this is like all about Otani. Yeah, they want to go after Otani. Who wouldn't want to go after Otani? He fills two holes. But the the mechanism or the strategy that they've had over the last few years, while it may not be working right now, was not flawed. Let's buy guys on short-term deals, and then we'll buy other guys when these contracts expire.
1: And I totally get that, and I totally understand that, and I'm not against all of it but I will then look at the offense where we, you and I just basically said, like, I'm not totally concerned, but there's like five guys in this roster who are basically, you know, dispensable. You can just throw them away. And it's all good. Like Kana, Escobar vocal You can get the hell out of here, bro. Seriously. I, I, I'm kind of getting a little tired but, but of all B, these guys.
0: The most exciting part about this team moving forward. Like I'm talking about prospects. Year.
1: No, the well, prospects.
0: No, but it's the core of offensive players that they have. like, assuming they keep Alonzo and they sign him, he's here for the next decade. Jeff McNeil next decade, Francisco Lindor next decade, Brett Beatty next decade, Francisco Lindor. Like they've got six of nine positions. You would say confidently like, wow, that could be locked up for a long time. First base, second base, shortstop, third base, center field, and if Alvarez is any good, catcher. So that's what they're building around the core of position players the pitching obviously is in flux, but we knew that going in.
1: But again, and I don't want to go make this about one specific, like oh, one big bat's all they needed. But on the other hand, it's like they're still missing that piece, and they're they're going for these 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 one off pitchers, and they didn't look at the offense at all. And then next year we're going to have this Otani hopefully thing. Yeah, that but we stop before.
0: with the next year thing. I don't want to think about next year I, in the middle I of know. this
1: year. I, I know, but the problem and and Evan, I apologize. I do this a lot because I look at the big picture sometimes. I take a step back and go, what are we doing? I understand the rookie. You're trying to win good, this year. But they did a bad job. For they signed the Justin
0: track. Verlander to replace Jacob deGrom on a short term deal to win this year. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to win this year. Is it working? Not right no, now. It's not I'm not confident. <laughs> it's not. Well, listen. Look, at, <laughs> a week and a half ago when the Mets was 7-1 and one on the West Coast trip, we were all giddy feeling good. They have played bad baseball, and they've played bad baseball for a stretch that they haven't done since 2021. This stretch of games that they've just had where they lost the last two to the Giants, two out of three to Washington, two out of three to Atlanta, and all three to Detroit is the worst stretch of baseball they've had since 2021. Now, what they've got to do is clean it up, and I think they're better than this. Like – I emotionally with Craig on the air today or Thursday, I said, they're not winning the division. And I feel that way because the Braves feel a lot better than us. They do. There's six games up and they just talent wise, whether it's the lineup or it's the rotate, they're a lot better. They feel like a better team. That doesn't mean this team stinks and let's pack it up and go home. It means they got to clean it up. And I think they're better than this. I don't think the Mets are a 500 team. And again, they've got games coming up that they've got to start taking advantage of Colorado, Cincinnati, Washington, they got to win these freaking games and they got to get above 500. Luckily we live in a world now where a million teams make the playoffs. So falling behind Atlanta by six games, as much as it sucks is not a death. knell. it does not mean the season is over and let's go home. This isn't 1988 anymore or 1985 anymore where there's only two divisions. And that's the only two teams that make the playoffs.
1: You said, and I'll leave it on this note. You that'll, that'll be it for me. I'll be done for the day. You said eight and five was this road trip. I think you said eight and five would be acceptable. I said
0: over the 13 games against bad teams, I'd like to see them go eight and five. What do they have to do now? <laughs> they got to go eight and two. Well, you know what? They, go do it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not confident they're going to do it, but go do it. Colorado, Cincinnati, Washington. Go do it. You know who they play after that, by the way? Uh, the I don't Tampa know. Bay Rays.
1: <laughs> Zach Eflin. Jeez. Yeah,
0: hopefully they'll cool off by then. Anyhow, know. it's been a rough couple of days. Keep your chin up. The season isn't over. We'll give you some more Rico Bronias maybe throughout the weekend, but definitely after the series ends against the Colorado Rockies. Uh, it's not over yet. It may feel like it is, but it's only May. Thanks for listening and downloading Rico Bronias.